0: Welcome to this week's Gold Dome Debrief, a weekly podcast covering the 2022 Georgia General Assembly session. I'm Taylor Ryman.
1: And I'm Amber Burton. These are the week's headlines for the General Assembly. Bills filed Wednesday in both chambers would create a parental bill of rights to give the parents of public school students more of a say in their child's education. Governor Brian Kemp supports the bill and argues that parents need more access to the classroom.
2: As parents of three daughters... Marty and I know students do best when their parents have a seat at the table and their voices are heard and respected. At its core, it is about transparency, access, and promoting an engaged partnership between parents and educators, which ultimately benefits the student.
1: Neither the Senate nor the House version of the bill has been assigned to committee yet, but both have strong
0: Republican support. On Thursday, Gwinnett County's redistricting maps sparked fierce debate in the House after the committee lawmakers voted against the Gwinnett County Commission's map in favor of their own. This is highly unusual. Traditionally, state lawmakers agreed to redistricting decisions at local levels. Republican Representative Bonnie Rich of Suwanee created the map arguing that her constituents in the north of the county were not represented by their county commission.
3: I do believe that all of the communities in our county matter, and that is why I drew lines that represent those distinct communities. We have urban, suburban communities, we have more urban communities, and they have different interests and different needs legislatively.
0: Democratic Representative Jasmine Clark from Lilburn, which is also in Gwinnett County, argued against the bill, saying the bill did not go through the proper procedure to allow constituents to be fully informed.
3: Today you are being asked to treat a local redistricting bill as a general bill, which is arguably unlawful, to ignore the will of the majority of the delegation and to abandon the customs and courtesies of this body for local matters.
0: The sponsor of the original map, Democratic Representative Sam Park of Lawrenceville, argued that Rich broke the rules of the House by disregarding the map drawn by the county commission. Park says Rich's map is partisan and racially motivated. For the first time in decades, a local redistricting bill was taken out of the regular legislative process and treated as general legislation, which I have publicly asserted is a clear deviation from the regular process. That is evidence of racially discriminatory intent and in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The newly drawn map passed the House largely along party lines and will now go to the Senate. On Tuesday, the
1: Senate Judiciary Committee approved the Georgia Constitutional Carry Act of 2021, which would allow for the permitless carry of firearms. This legislation will authorize weapon carriers to possess guns in Georgia without a license. Republican Senator Jason Anavatarte of Jalas said he filed the bill because his constituents support it. He also mentioned the provisions under this legislation will not intervene with the process of buying firearms.
4: It does not change any restrictions or requirements already in place for someone to purchase or own a firearm.
1: Vitarte noted this will not put a stop to gun owners who would still like to go through the formal process of obtaining a license. In honor of Human Trafficking Awareness Month, several state and Atlanta officials gathered at the Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport to launch Not In My Country, an initiative led by First Lady Marty Kemp and Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. It will focus state authorities to reduce human trafficking and sex trafficking further. The event was held at the airport since it is a known hotspot for
0: trafficking victims who are often women. This week, in the ongoing Buckhead Cityhood issue... More than 30 companies signed a letter asking lawmakers to either object to the incorporation of Buckhead as a city or remove the business district from the city's boundaries. The letter was signed by large corporations, small business owners, and entrepreneurs. Combined, they have a property value of about $4.7 billion in Buckhead and pay nearly $57 million in annual property taxes in Atlanta. At this point, neither the Senate nor the House committees have held hearings on the legislation. On Tuesday, Republican Representative Matt Dollar from Marietta East Cobb announced his immediate resignation from the House to take a position with the Technical College System of Georgia. Some of Dollar's final actions in the House were authoring and supporting the East Cobb cityhood bill, which would allow the residents of East Cobb to vote on whether to create their own city. That bill passed the House and moved to the Senate on the same day Dollar resigned. Republican
1: Senator Frank Ginn of Danielsville introduced a bill that would allow drivers at red lights to hold their phones and check their messages. This would provide an exception to the hands-free phone law for drivers. Senator Ginn emphasized how this law would be implemented.
4: You have to be at a complete and perfect stop. If you're at a complete and perfect stop, you are not the cause of an accident.
1: Under their current hands-free law, Georgia drivers are not allowed to have a device in their hands or on any part of their body while driving. The bill has been referred to the Public Safety Senate Committee.
0: A bill filed Tuesday would prohibit public school athletic programs from allowing students who identify as transgender from playing in sports with their preferred gender. Under this proposal... Student athletes would be required to play on teams with athletes of the same gender designated at birth, unless no equivalent sport exists. The lawmakers sponsoring the Save Girls Sports Act argue that the bill would protect female athletes from harm and preserve fairness in sports. Opponents argue that the bill could alienate transgender students and negatively impact their mental health. Similar legislation has been passed in nine other states, most located in the South, 26 other states have also proposed similar legislation.
1: Voting practices in the Peach State have been caught into question since the 2020 presidential election, nearly 15 months ago. Allegations of voter fraud continue, and the General Assembly is debating whether to eliminate ballot drop boxes. Aaliyah McConnell has the story. According to
5: a recent poll conducted by the Atlanta Journal Constitution, Many Georgia Republicans distrust whether future elections will be fair. Claims of widespread fraud in the 2020 election were proven false by multiple investigations and recounts. However, voting remains a hot topic in the wake of this year's upcoming state elections. Dropbox accessibility is one of the top concerns for voters. According to the AJC poll, 80% 80% of Democrats supported broad access to drop boxes, while 51% of Republicans wanted to eliminate them completely. While others argue that access underpins the real issue, which is drop box monitoring. Dr. David Schock, a political science professor at Kennesaw State University, says the biggest concern is lack of security in some rural areas.
2: I think that you often have bigger risk in rural areas they have buildings that aren't staffed all the time it's better if you can vote in a building that has security 24-7 mm-hmm. I think the risk is really in rural Georgia where they you have these votes happen in in buildings that are old that uh, may not have real up-to-date security systems and they may go a whole weekend with nobody in it
5: Another concern is with Georgia's voting machines. Paper ballots are making a return after 18 years with the rollout of new voting machines that will no longer collect and maintain votes. The paper ballots will be fed into scanners and stored in locked ballot boxes. On Thursday, Georgia election officials urged a federal judge to release a confidential report detailing potential vulnerabilities in the state's voting machines. University of Michigan professor and expert in election security lawsuit, Alex Halderman, wrote the report explaining how hackers could infiltrate voting machines. Though there was no evidence of fraud in 2020, Dr. Shock worries this could pose a threat for upcoming elections.
2: I'm not an IT expert. But I think voters need to review the paper ballot when it comes out and just make sure everything looks okay. I don't think there's any real reason to to worry about the the voting system. It's just that when there is an issue, there needs to be transparency.
5: Shock argues that deadline restrictions placed on absentee ballots could have a harmful impact on our elections, too
2: restricting the time you can get a um, absentee ballot uh is uh problematic in november the local elections you had a lot more absentee ballots rejected the integrity of the election i guess could be affected if you have a large number of votes that are just thrown out so so the the restrictions on the absentee ballot request time frame is a is a problem
5: Another election controversy is based on the telephone conversation former President Donald Trump had with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Released audio proved that he spoke with Raffensperger about potential fraud.
2: They dropped a lot of votes in there late at night, you know that Brad. We lost by uh, 11, essentially 11,000 votes and we have many more votes already calculated and certified.
5: Trump urged the Secretary of State to find the votes. Trump's remarks pushed Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis to request a special grand jury to further investigate his efforts to overturn the election in Georgia. Her request for a grand jury was accepted and it will be seated on May 2nd. Professor Shock says this will be a long legal process.
2: She is convening a, a grand jury in May that could last a year, whose primary role is to issue subpoenas to witnesses who have been refusing to testify, like the current Secretary of State. There's actually a second grand jury that would have to be called once the evidence is gathered from interviews to actually do an indictment. But I think we're headed towards an indictment. I think it's moving forward.
5: But... Shock says it's not a matter of if there will be an indictment, but when.
2: Could it happen in September in the middle of the election season? That would make things very interesting. Or is it going to be pushed into 2023? The district attorney's moved forward enough that she can't really back down at this point. If you just listen to the tapes, it seems like there's enough evidence to do an indictment.
5: Shock also mentioned the subpoena issued on Friday, January 28th, regarding the presidential electors who made false claims of a Trump victory. He says District Attorney Fannie Willis will be busy over the next year. For Gold Dome Debrief, I'm Alia McConnell.
0: The Georgia First Amendment Foundation hosted its annual legislative breakfast on Thursday, January 25th. Alex Guevara has the story.
6: The panel, which was held virtually, featured Republican Representative Todd Jones of South Forsyth and North Fulton counties, Democrat Representative Mary Margaret Oliver of Decatur, and Cobb County Commission Chairwoman Lisa Cupid. The panel addressed cityhood initiatives at the beginning of their discussion. Representative Oliver said when she was elected as a representative, Sandy Springs and Dunwoody were new cities. She said that even successful movements like Brookhaven experienced expensive and time-consuming conflict and litigation. Cobb County Commission Chairwoman Lisa Cupid says there are a lot of questions about the cityhood initiatives in her county. Several of these are not led by public leaders at the county level, and each city movement is moving at a different pace. She says the amount of information Cobb County residents receive about these movements is different from one another and can be confusing.
3: And there have been questions from citizens as to how information is being shared because based off of how those who are starting this process um, decide to meet and share that information um, can cause a lot of variation in what information the public gets.
6: The panel discussion then turned toward educational policies regarding House Bill 888, which would ban the teaching of critical race theory in Georgia schools. Representative Jones expressed displeasure with the state of education in Georgia. He said that any controversial issues taught in public schools should be balanced and that schooling needs to focus on developing critical thinking skills in children.
4: The only way we can do it is to ensure that, quote, both sides of every issue, may it be something as innocuous as A and B or something as I'll say uh, partisan even as C and D, it still needs to be presented because our children shouldn't be sheltered from it, but rather need to have both sides. And I think having the parents involved will I think promote both sides to be done and also help our children to become more critical thinkers. And I think that's what we want them to be.
6: Representative Oliver said that while she understood the desire for parental input, she did not believe that issue and critical race theory were the topics deserving of attention from the General Assembly. The panelists also discussed the current state of Georgia Open Records policy, with Jones and Oliver stating the belief that there would be no pathway for Open Records to include private conversations between legislators or communications on their devices within the foreseeable future. For Gold Dome Debrief, I'm Alex Guevara.
1: have noticed a shortage of meats at your local grocery store. Both the COVID-19 pandemic and supply chain shortages are causing empty shelves. Godon Debris' Adam Stevens spoke with the Georgia Meat Company to understand this in more detail.
4: Little Springs Cattle Company from Covington is a cattle ranch. Tamara Green is the company's rancher. She says the ongoing meat shortages are complicated. Labor supplies, processing, and the pandemic all work hand in
3: hand. We are were so affected by the pandemic right off the bat um and then last summer the processor um was not able to take as many um cattle as I needed processed to keep up with the store um so we kind of wiggled our way through that for a while but November 1st this past November um that was in 2021, we um, were forced to close the store
4: because of the labor shortage at the processor. You may have noticed that some of your favorite proteins are a little scarce and a lot more expensive. Green explains the complicated national supply process for meats and chickens.
3: The supply chains that are coming through the store are coming from much, much larger national um, processors. There's four of those in the United States, and how they withhold the market, and it's, there's there's a lot of issues and controversy with that. So the store supply is coming from the national um, processors. Um, my supply is coming from a completely different place.
4: Green noted that the pandemic by itself did not have as much of an impact on supply as most people think.
3: The processing plants aren't shut down. You know, they did shut down once during the pandemic um, for a very short time, like a day or two, um, and, and there, there was no meat shortage from that. Um, there's enough meat in storage lockers that even if they did have to shut down for a day or two, we would not see the effects of it. It's that massive of wow. you know a processing facility.
4: Green says that four companies control 80% of the beef supply in the United States. Tyson, JBS, Cargill, and National Beef Packaging control that overwhelming supply of meats. Three of them have processing plants here in Georgia. She, along with the other Georgia ranchers, sell cattle to these companies. This is not the first time.
3: Um, It it happens frequently. It's like a monopoly without being a monopoly because they're all you know, separately owned, but again, they work very well together. Um, so yes, we, we watch them not just during the pandemic, but they drive cattle prices and then they also drive prices within the store. All four processors are buying cattle at the same price. You kind of don't have a choice as to what you're going to sell your cattle for, right? Same way as all four processors are selling theirs at the same high price. Retailers don't really have a choice on where to go.
4: Green explained that supply shortages of meat are based mainly on corporate and financial decisions of the four large companies. As a ranching company, Little Springs cattle cannot make a dent in the supply of meats at your local Publix or Kroger's. But as Green noted, the large companies are not short on supply. For Gold Dome Debrief, I'm Adam Stevens.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's Gold Dome Debrief. This week's podcast was produced at Kennesaw State University by the Center for Sustainable Journalism and Fresh Take Georgia. Josh Azriel is the podcast news manager. Gary Green is the executive producer. Lindsay Carter is the podcast editor. Please join us next week for the next edition of Gold Dome Debrief.